Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We consider it an honor to host you. You can stay up to date with us at BethesdaChurch.tv or on Instagram. Now let's get ready for the message. house today. Come on, let's give God a big hand clap. So good to see you. I am so excited you're here. I want to give a big shout out though to the Logan 11 and 12 year old all-star team. They're in house with us today. Many of them attend West Logan Church of God. Thank you, Dougie and Amy for bringing everybody. It's such an honor to host you guys Uh, And they have a game today at four, so they probably wouldn't mind your prayers today, I'm sure. Uh, But it is great to see you in-house with us today. Um, We are, we kicked off a brand new series last Sunday entitled Spellbound. Everybody say Spellbound. Um, And we kicked it off, and I don't want to do a ton of review. And the reason I don't want to review is because I got a lot of content I want to share with you today, and I would also encourage you, if you missed the first message, it is imperative that you go and listen to it, watch it, take some notes with it, because it will help you with the rest of this series. Uh, I'm going to just go back and kind of get the verse we used from Galatians chapter number 3, and uh, you say, well, what's up with the stool and all of that? Well, a couple of things. Number one is I started with 25 pages of notes. And so um, I thought, you, I can't do that on a Sunday. Um, 25 pages of notes, nobody, like y'all would all be leaving. And, and so I had to condense the message. But I also want to share the content in a, in, in a different kind of way today because as you're going to see, the content is a little heavier so I'm just going to get comfortable. I hope you're comfortable. Um, but how many know at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit may make us uncomfortable, right? Come on, let's give God a hand clap right there, and then I'm going to sit down, and let's let the Word of God speak to us. Uh, Galatians chapter number 3, starting in verse number 1, just one verse. This is a verse we used last week. It says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And we use the word bewitch there. Uh, If you'll remember, that word means spell. So Paul's asking the church, who cast a spell on you? Who who put a spell on you? Uh, This this, uh, also means to charm or to fascinate to the point that you cannot resist. And so that's going to be important to understanding where we go because what I want to do now is shift gears from a general spiritual warfare kind of mindset to I want to tackle some spirits that I believe that want to hinder the flow of God, not only in your family, in your business, and in your church, but every part of your life. How many, there are spirits that have been assigned to our lives to trip us up, to hinder what God wants to do. And so with that being said, we understand that in the Old Testament, many times, the things that are natural uh, and physical, in the New Testament, we see them, but they are not natural, they're supernatural, and they are spiritual. And so the Old Testament speaks in types and shadows, but the New Testament uh, gives us the spiritual connotation of that. Um, For instance, the, the spirit of Jezebel, everybody say Jezebel. We, we've done a lot of teaching in this church about that spirit, but we know that she was a real person, right? 
but we know that there, there are spirits that resemble that real person. Uh, and, and so there's a spirit of Jezebel that can operate. It's not makeup and jewelry or anything like that, but it's, it's a lot deeper than that. But today, I'm not talking about Jezebel. I'm talking about Absalom. Everybody say Absalom. Now, when it comes to Absalom, let me set it up by telling you that Absalom is a spirit that is assigned to attack leadership. It's always assigned to attack leadership. It seeks to attack God-anointed, God-appointed leadership. Now, I, I need you to think bigger than the church. Because a lot of times we hear a message like this and say, yeah, this spirit attacks the pastor. That is true. This spirit attacks the pastor, attacks the leadership of the church. But as the man of your house, you need to know this spirit wants to attack you as the leader of your home. Um, If you run a company and have employees, this spirit wants to attack you. This spirit comes against God anointed, and you may be anointed for business. You may be anointed um, to run your family. You may be the principal of a school. Uh, Wherever it is you lead, as a pastor of a church, this spirit comes against God-anointed, God-appointed leadership. And I want you to know, we don't have anything to fear when it comes to these spirits. We don't have anything to fear, but how many know we need wisdom and discernment, right? Can I get an amen in the church? All right. Now, before I get too deep, I want you to know that if you didn't put a leader there, you never have a right to attack them. See how low the amens are. Because, and the claps are, because we feel sometimes, because we all in our feelings that we have a right to attack leaders. But if you didn't anoint them, anoint them, and you didn't appoint them, keep your mouth off them. I may get bolder and throw a stool this service. You better look out. I may just sling this thing. Um, If you didn't anoint them and you don't have justification for it, it doesn't matter what they did, doesn't matter what they didn't do, keep them off your lips. You didn't anoint them. You didn't appoint them. They shouldn't be a part of your... If if, if any conversation is going to happen with that individual, it should be one-on-one. If you have a problem with them, act like an adult. Stop being a child. Go have a conversation. All right. Some of y'all are like, uh, maybe I came on the wrong Sunday. No, you're, you're here on the right Sunday. This is going to help some people. Um, 2 Samuel chapter 15, his life, Absalom's life, is characterized in about five or six chapters. Uh, we don't have time for five or six chapters But I think there are six verses that give us all we need to know about this this man and this spirit. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. It says, after this, Absalom bought a chariot and horses, and he hired 50 bodyguards to run ahead of him. He got up early every morning, and he went out to the gate of the city. Now, you got to understand, he wasn't anointed to be at the gate. He wasn't appointed to be at the gate, but he promoted himself there. And it says, when the people brought a case to the king for judgment, Absalom would ask wherein Israel they were from. 
and they would tell him their tribe. Then Absalom would say, you've really got a strong case here. It's too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. I wish I were the judge. Then everyone could bring their cases to me for judgment, and I would give them justice. When people tried to bow before him, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them up by the hand, and he kissed them. Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment, and he stole the hearts of, of all the people of Israel. He stole the hearts. Now, you may say, who is Absalom? Absalom was the third son of David, all right, the third son, and everybody knows King David, all right, so you got a connection. We know who David is. He's the third son of David, and the Scripture tells us some in- interesting facts about Absalom. It tells us, number one, he was handsome. All the ladies say handsome. <laughs> Y'all not playing along, are you? I ain't playing your game, Pastor. It says he's handsome. Uh, it gives the indication that he was muscular, that he was athletic, and, and, and the Scripture says that there were no blemishes on him. All right? So this guy had it going on, and he even had one feature that really stood out. And I cannot identify with this feature because it was his hair. <laughs> and I can't grow hair except in my nose and ears. And I don't want to grow it there. Come on, y'all. But his hair was so, like, <laughs> such a big deal that he would do one haircut a year and five to six pounds of hair would come off every single year. So you can just see this handsome, muscular, no blemish guy running through the wilderness and his hair blowing. That's Absalom. All right? Now, here's what happened. The way Absalom came into the earth is that David wanted to create an alliance between the northern and southern part of Israel because they were enemies. And so what David did is that he married the enemy's daughter, and out of this union, Absalom is born. Um, And there was a tragic event because, as you know, that um, men during that time, especially like kings, they had many wives Um, They would have many children from different wives. And the Bible tells us about a tragic event that happens between Absalom's full sister, Tamar. This is his full sister. And his half-brother, Amnon. And the event was is that Amnon fell in love with his half-sister. But she didn't want to have anything to do with him. And because of that, Amnon raped her. And so this, this abuse happens to Tamar, and, and the Bible basically tells us she never recovers from this abuse, but it also tells us that Absalom, who was the full brother of Tamar, was never really able to let this incident go. This became a driving force, not only because Amnon had raped Tamar, but because David, his dad, and king, did not handle it the way that Absalom thought it should have been handled. And so he's furious over this whole situation. And the Bible tells us that Tamar and Absalom, you know, they moved in with one another as as brother and sister. 
And he was reminded every single day of this incident of what had happened to Tamar. How many know you got to be careful when trauma moves in with you? And, and, I, and I, don't, I don't mean just when somebody who, who's had a traumatic experience moves in with you. I'm talking about you got to be careful about allowing trauma, period, to move in with you, like your own trauma. And so Absalom, because he's looking at Tamar every single day, he's constantly replaying this abuse that took place, which leads me to a point when you replay a transgression that was made against you, over and over, you are literally practicing unforgiveness. When you replay an event that happened, and you're replaying what went wrong, who betrayed you, the transgression that took place, and you're constantly thinking about that, you are practicing unforgiveness. And so, let me say this about David, though. David is not without fault. David did not handle the situation properly. As a father and king, he didn't really know how to handle what Amnon had done. And what we learn from this is that if we sit and we do not address situations when they need to be addressed, then bitterness can grow. How I many bitterness grows? If you don't deal with bitterness, it doesn't become smaller. Bitterness has a root, and bitterness always grows. And so Absalom, even though, check this out, even though... He tells Tamar when it first happens, hey, don't worry about it. You got to push through. Um, you know, don't let this stop you. You know, you, we, we got to move forward. He says all the right things. And he sounds like a godly, good dude. But out behind the scenes, he's plotting the murder of Amnon. And not only is he plotting the murder of Amnon, and maybe you're here and you say, well, the dude deserves it, and maybe he does, but how many know, you need to know that vengeance doesn't belong to you. Vengeance belongs to God. Like, I don't take vengeance into my own hands because vengeance is never fully satisfied. And, and, and so what we find is that he's plotting the murder of Amnon, but at the same time, he's plotting the murder of King David. And, and listen, th there's a two-year gap where nothing has happened, but over two years instead of getting better, Absalom is getting worse. He's replaying what happened. He's replaying what Amnon did to his sister. He's replaying what David, his dad, and king didn't do when this event took place. And this thing is building and becoming bigger and bigger in his life. And, and he's so, so what he does is, is that, number one, he murders Amnon. Let me rephrase that. He doesn't murder him. He has him murdered. And that, you, you need to remember that. He tries to invite King David, his dad, to an event because he's plotting his murder. But David was smart enough to know, I ain't showing up there because I know what you're planning to do to me. And so he did not give him access to him. And so over time, David did give him permission because when, when uh, Absalom first had Amnon killed, he was banished from the kingdom. David said, you got to get him out. And for two years, he was gone. But after two years, through charm, 
through manipulation. He makes his way back into the kingdom. David allows him back. But, but here's the thing. He has proxy. He has proximity to David, but no connection. So, so he, he's back into the kingdom, but David is not crazy enough to like hang out with Absalom. Like, I'm not giving you intimacy with me. You can, you can be in my vicinity, but you can't be near me. And so, like most kids do, when they don't get the attention of their parents, what do they do? They act out. They act out. And so how did he act out? He burned the fields of Joab. I'll rephrase that as well. He didn't burn the fields. He had his servants do it. So we got a guy murdered, and you got the fields burned, and you got this plot to kill David. But with Absalom, the MO is that Absalom wants to muddy the water so that the sheep will not drink. Absalom wants to muddy the water with that leader of the company so that people don't want to mess with that company. With the leader of that house so that everybody in the house will not receive from that leader. Wants to muddy the water in the church so that nobody in the church can receive from that pastor. They want to break the integrity, break the reputation. And here's the thing about Absalom. They never look dirty. Their hands always look clean because they never do it themselves. They let other people do it on their behalf. And though their hands are clean, their hearts are often wicked. They don't look dirty but their heart is wicked. And so I want to give you five points, and I'll try to do this quickly, that it's not everything. This is not an exhaustive list. I could bring you five more next week, all right? But we're going to move on next week. Um, I want to give you five things that I think you can apply this to your life uh, when it comes to the spirit of Absalom. Number one, the spirit of Absalom is a self-promoting spirit that attacks leadership by seeking to break the influence of the leadership. Um, we see how self-promoting this spirit is because he was not anointed or appointed to be at the gate, yet where did he position himself? At the gate of the city. In other words, Absalom knows the entrance into the church, Knows the entrance into the family. Knows the entrance into the business. He positions himself at the entrance. And if you go a little bit deeper, not only will you find out David was anointed and appointed of God, but how many know when you're anointed and appointed of God, you also get the confirmation of man that you need. The prophet Samuel also anointed David. So he's anointed of God. He's been anointed by the prophet Samuel. But the question becomes, who anointed Absalom? The answer is himself. God did not anoint him. Samuel did not anoint him. But Absalom anointed himself. And that is the difference. This spirit operates through pride and through rebe rebellion. This spirit says, look at me. Look at my ability. Look at how good I sing. Look at how good I preach. Look at how good I lead the family. He even said, hey, I wish I were king because if I were king, I would handle you so much better than they are. So not only is it a look at me, it's a, your leadership is bad. They're toxic. 
They were anointed. They used to be anointed, but they're not anointed anymore. Well, how do you know? You didn't anoint them. You, come on, y'all. Y'all better help me or I'll throw something. A bottle. I'm not throwing this stool. I've already decided against that. Look at me. Absalom undermines a fundamental tenet of our faith, and that is 1 Peter 5 and 6. Humble yourselves, therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. But our text says that he had positioned himself at the gate of the city, and he literally, guys, he was successful. He stole the hearts of the people. He made David look incompetent, uncaring, and absent. He met them there as someone who could really meet their needs and as someone that could provide, watch this, in quotations, real leadership. The whole time undermining. How many of you have ever seen Incredibles 2? Be honest. Raise your hands. Have you seen the movie? All right. Y'all remember the underminer in the character that he would use this big machine, he would go underneath the surface, and no one could see him, but he was causing a lot of problems because he's attacking the foundation, but the problem is, is no one can see him doing it. And that's why this spirit is so destructive. No one can see what Absalom is doing, and, but he's going underneath the surface. He's in stealth mode, and he's attacking the foundation and causing things to crumble and collapse, but no one can ever see him doing it. Absalom operates in stealth mode to break influence, to break authority, and to break integrity of God-anointed, God-appointed leadership. I'm going to say it again. If you didn't anoint them and you didn't appoint them, then keep them off your mouth and out of your mouth. If you didn't put them there, quit trying to take them out of there. Because I'm going to tell you, you think vengeance of man is bad? I had somebody send me a text last week and said, I just wanted you to know I've been praying for you, and God told me to tell you that vengeance is mine, and you actually need to pray mercy on those that have come against you in this season because God's vengeance is worse than man's vengeance, and they just text it right out of the blue. How many know we don't have to repay evil for evil? We can love people even while they mistreat us. We can bless enemies even when they're coming against us. Why? Because God will protect those he has called. And if you're the leader of a business, a house, a ministry, a company, if God puts you there, man cannot take you out of that place. Secondly, I'm preaching harder this time, by the way. I don't know if this stool's going to make it. Secondly, the spirit of Absalom uses other people to accomplish their purpose. And, and I kind of hit this. He didn't kill Amnon. His servants did. He didn't burn Joab's field. He had his servants do it. So a lot of times, the person operating in the spirit of Absalom they never look guilty because someone is always doing it for them. Somebody else is accomplishing it. And the Bible tells us he was successful. He actually won the hearts of the people. 
and not really won them, he stole them is the way the word, the word of God puts it. He stole the hearts of the people. His hands were clean, but his heart was wicked. But here's, here's something God gave me. You cannot get the key of David while you entertain the spirit of Absalom. The key of David is not only worship, but the key of David in Isaiah 22, verse 22, he said, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. And so there's an anointing to open things that nobody else can shut, an an anointing to shut things that nobody can open, but we can't operate in that anointing as long as we're entertaining Absalom. The craziest part of all this is that Absalom actually had an inheritance. He was the king's kid. David is his dad, yet he's plotting to kill his own dad. He's willing to do anything to be king, to be noticed to take David out of his rightful place. He has a a seat of honor, but it becomes a seat of dishonor. What was supposed to be a generational blessing becomes a generational curse. And part of the reason that happened is because Absalom could never walk in forgiveness. Instead of forgiveness, he operated in vengeance. And the reason vengeance doesn't work is because it's never fully satisfied. This room is filled with imperfect people. We have to stop expecting people to be perfect. I'm going to take that a step further. You have to stop expecting your leaders to be perfect. Your, your Bible, I'm not even going to say my, I'm going to say, your Bible says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, which means that God has invited you into a process of transformation because you're not perfect and I'm not perfect. And how many know we're all still on the potter's wheel becoming who God has called us to be? And so that is a process. This spirit also, it it exhibits false humility, but proudly believes they are wiser and smarter and more anointed than the leader. The scripture says that Absalom would not let the people bow down to him. And you say, well, he's such a humble dude. No, 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 no. Absalom says, don't bow, stand up. I'm going to give you a hug and kiss. And, and the reason is because we bros. We family. He plays on the vulnerable. People that are hurt, people that are discontent, people that that feel that no one's paying. He plays on that, and he's a master manipulator saying exactly what you need to hear in in that moment. But it's not about helping you at all. It's about fulfilling their own selfish desires. Absalom, don't get caught in that snare. Here's, the, here's, here's my biggest problem with Absalom is that he goes after people you discipled, you mentored, you cried with, you buried their dead, you showed up at the hospital, you took their phone call at midnight, you taught, you spent hours with, 
But Absalom will go after people you discipled, you mentored, you poured into, you gave opportunity to, and he will go after those people. He preys on those that have been wounded and those that have been hurt, and he distorts the truth. He distorts the truth. It plays on the original sin of man, and that is that we need to jump to get ahead of God because we believe that God is withholding something from us. That's what the Absalom spirit does. The third point is that Absalom, this spirit, operates through hidden agendas. Hidden agendas. This is like conversations that take place in the break room about your boss. This is private text threads that you would never want your leader to see. Private emails. And God told me to tell some people, you've got private emails, private texts, you've had backroom conversations, and God said to tell them that he sees it all. You kept it from your leader, bravo. God still sees. This spirit can be active in and around your life. It's a master manipulator, and it works on flattery. That's why I called the whole series Spellbound. This spirit will say things like this. They don't see you. Your leaders don't see you, but I do. They don't place value on you, but I place value on you. They don't see what you carry, but... I see what you carry. It operates through hidden strategies, hidden agendas, hidden alliances, and watch this, hidden revenge. At the end of the day, Absalom wants revenge. He wants to get back. And it all stems from a root of bitterness. He wants to be king so bad that I don't care if it's my dad. I'll kill him. I'll have, I'm not going to do it because I can't let anybody think my hands are dirty, but somebody's going to kill him for me, and then I'll have the throne. And it begins a lot of times with distrust of leadership. Listen, ladies, let me talk to the ladies. If you go out on a girl's night and you spend the whole night husband bashing, I mean, that's the spirit of Absalom. Oh, my goodness. Lord, I just pray for all these holy people. I have no clue what I'm talking about because they're so holy and would never. Come on, y'all, smile at me. How I many know this is where we live? Husbands, if you go out on a guy's night and you spend the night bashing your spouse, I mean, that's a problem. If you work in a school system and you bash the teachers or you bash the principal, that's a problem. Anywhere this is happening, Absalom, what, what Absalom did is he separated the people of God from the voice God had assigned to them. He broke the integrity of the leader. This was not about what David did or what David did not do. This was about the wickedness in Absalom's heart. Listen, Jesus was the best leader ever, and he still had a Judas. 
If you're a Judas at heart, it don't matter who your leader is, you're going to manifest at some point. You're going to manifest. See, Absalom is sincere until Absalom does, does not get what he wants. And at the moment he doesn't get what he wants, then he's going to cause all kinds of problem and, and, and problems. At the end of the day, though, you have to understand, Absalom ends up being hung by the, his beautiful hair. He dies, hung, hung by his hair, and David is left standing. If you're operating in the spirit of Absalom, the very thing that you're doing to get at the Davids in your life will be the very thing that destroys your life. It'll be the very thing that destroys it. And don't confuse Jezebel. We've taught Jezebel a hundred times in this church. We know who Jezebel is. But it's not the same. Same kind of methods, but totally different spirit. Jezebel moved through the king. Absalom moves through the people. Totally different. Uh, Jezebel set up false gods. Absalom made himself a god. Totally different spirit. Polar opposite methods, but same manipulative spirit. Number four, the spirit of Absalom wants direction, but not correction. The real test, the real test is never direction. Anybody can take some direction. The real test is correction. When you correct them, are they good with that, or do things change from that point on? Because if they change from that point on, you're dealing with a spirit that needs to be dealt with. See, Absalom was an ego stroker. And he got, watch this, he got all of David's closest associates to turn against him. He got his closest military advisor. He got his counselor when David was struggling. His, his counselor turned against him. He got his childhood best friend to turn against him. And the one that really got me was Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was from the house of Saul. The Bible teaches us there was a long war between the house of David and the house of Saul. And when the war was over, David said, I want to show kindness to someone from Saul's kingdom. And the only one he could find was a guy by the name of Mephibosheth who was a crippled individual who was living in a place called Lodibar, and he says, I want you to go get him out of Lodibar, and I want you to bring him to the palace. That man is going to have a seat at my table for the rest of his life. How many know he should have been thankful? He should have been loyal. He should have never turned his back against David from that point on. But when there's an Absalom that is not dealt with, even those that are closest, even those that have been loyal the longest, can find their way to turning their back against you. And it blows my mind that Mephibosheth was one of those. How can you do that? This man put you at his table when really any other king would have killed you. Because they, they got rid of everybody in the kingdom and they killed everybody and they were like, we're done. We're washing our hands with that. He showed you kindness and yet you turned. And they all were in this together. All those people I just mentioned against David. Listen, there's nothing that will bring people together faster than a common enemy. Like people, they didn't even like each other before. They hated each other before. Oh, but we got the same in it. We bros now. 
We got the same cause. And now they're in alignment. Now, and, and watch this, it's all because of one man's pride, one man's rebellion, one man's unresolved hurts, that all these things, and all those people I just mentioned began to undermine David and his authority. Ultimately, people who struggle with this spirit, they struggle with correction and submission. Listen, church, whether it's in an in a, in a office, in a school system, in a business, in a church, we should never embrace such foolishness and be a part of that. David has been called. He's been assigned. He's been anointed. He's got the, the nod of God. But this spirit only arises when there is true God-anointed, God-appointed leadership that's when Absalom will arise. He's such a nightmare that he actually calls David to cry over his own son. His own son is walking in such betrayal that David cries. This spirit rises from within the family unit. Listen, guys, I want you to get this. This spirit is never from an outsider. It's always an insider. Someone within the family unit. Someone within the ministry. Someone within that business. How many know nothing hurts quite like those closest to you turning against you? Nothing hurts quite like. It's what caught, this story is why David wrote, if it had been a real enemy, I could have dealt with it, but it was you who I went to church with. It's you who I ate meals with. It's you that I invested in. It's you. And he's even at some level talking about his own son. The reason the people had their hearts stolen by Absalom is because, watch this, he's handsome, he's gifted, he knew how to look humble, he knew how to speak humble, he had a likability factor about him. He, he, in our world, he would be the one that could sing like an angel. Preach like Bishop Jakes. And, and the reason people are fooled is because of presentation. No one was praised as much as Absalom. If you give Absalom a microphone, everybody's going to think the Lord just started moving. The Lord didn't start moving. The devil just started talking. This spirit will tell you that leadership is wrong. It will tell you that leadership is bad. It will tell you to get out from under that leadership. It will say all kinds of things. And it doesn't matter if that's a marriage, a family, a business, or a church. And it's not about what leadership does or doesn't do. It's never about that. It's about what's in your heart. What's in your heart? I'm going to move to the last point because I feel like y'all need me to. How many know it's easier to deal with an open devil than it is with an angel on the outside but who's diabolical on the inside? Be careful what you open yourself up to because the battle's never with people. The battle's about keeping your heart clean. And I can firsthand tell you that if you're talking about any kind of leadership in a negative way that you've not addressed in a one-on-one conversation, your heart is not clean. This is good preaching, Pastor Chad. You're doing great. Last point, and this one is very important. 
The spirit of Absalom cannot operate without an audience. You know why this spirit keeps going? It's because you are paying attention to it. It's because you have agreed with it. You say, no, I haven't. I haven't agreed. I haven't agreed with it. If you're allowing it to happen, you're in agreement. This spirit will stop when it cannot find agreement. But when you give an ear to it, when you give agreement to it, you're, you're not willing to just shut it down, but you're willing to listen. You are now in agreement with something. And that's where the wisdom, that's where discernment comes in. And, and guys, I want to throw this out there. It still says in the word of God, touch not mine anointed. Is that Bible or is that Bible? So don't touch the leader of that home. Don't touch the leader of that school. Don't touch the leader of that business. Don't, don't touch the leader of that ministry. If you don't know, you don't know. Don't touch them. If God put them there, you can't take them out of there. David was not perfect. How I many know David made a lot of mistakes? I mean, when we, when we talk about mistakes, adultery, murder, lying, like all kinds of stuff. He, but David taught us something. David taught us, honor leaders, whether they're good or bad. David honored Saul while Saul was trying to kill him. David said, don't touch God's anointed. Like, dude, he's trying to kill you. David's like, I didn't put him there. God did. We're going to honor them whether they're good or bad. And so as the worship team comes, I want to give you 10 signs that this spirit is operating in your life. I'm just going to go down the list. Can y'all give God a praise real quick? I'm, I, I'm a little nervous. These are not on your notes. You'll just have to listen, maybe jot them down. Ten signs that this spirit's operating in your life. Number one, instigating or participating in conversations of gossip. Absalom's in your life if that's happening. Secondly, you think you know a better way of how things should be done. Oh, Lord, that hit about 99% of us. Mm. Three, you have a different version of how things should be done that is different than your spouse, your boss, or the leadership in your church. Number four, you look to gather people around your feelings and opinions. You're not, you're not gathering them around the vision or around the word of God. You're gathering them around your feelings and your opinions. Five, you're quick to create alliances that separate you from the very thing and the people that God has called you to do life with. So you're hooking up with people that are outside of the ones God called you to do life with. Six, you're not all in. You're hit and miss with church. You're hit and miss with whatever it is. You're, you're just not all in. Guys, we serve an all-in God. We preach an all-in gospel. This is an all-in kingdom, and this is an all-in church. Amen. Be all in. Seven, 
You talk about situations with people, but you, you never go to them. Listen, if, you're, if you are upset with someone or you're frustrated with someone and you're talking to anyone other than them, you're sinning. The Bible says go to them. Have a conversation. You, know you know what it's really saying? Be an adult. Stop being a child. Eight, you believe you could do it better than your leaders and you're considering doing your own thing. Listen, nothing wrong with doing your own thing, but be sent to do it. Don't say, well, they didn't do it my way. I'm taking my ball. I'm going to go do my own thing. Good luck with that. Be sent to do it. Be sent to do it. Number nine, you don't have a strong prayer life and spending time with God seems boring to you. People with an Absalom spirit, they do a lot of this, but they don't do a lot of this. Number 10, this is probably the root of the whole thing. You have undealt with hurts and pains. You have some things in your life that need to be healed. And until they get healed, you're going to continue to operate in a spirit that attacks leadership because you're not healed, you're not whole. And the next best thing you can do is attack anyone who is healed and whole. We have to be willing to deal with attitudes and behaviors that resemble this spirit. Today, maybe you can relate to what I just preached. I didn't even really preach. I raised my voice a couple times. I just taught, right? I hope you can relate to it, identify it, break it. Maybe you see it in your family. Maybe you see it at work, in the break room. Maybe you see it, you know, with church folk. All of those things, but let's deal with the attitude. Let's deal with the spirit, and let's live whole. Let's live healed in the name of Jesus. If you receive the word today, can you give God a big hand clap? I'm gonna stop right there. Come on, stand to your feet. Give God a praise right there. Come on, you do better than that. Come on, you, you heard from God today. You did, you heard from God today. Listen, I, you know, and, and it's not just preaching a message on this stuff, guys. We have to deal with it. If we see it going on, God's challenged me to deal with some stuff this coming week. I'm going to deal with some stuff. I'm just going to deal with it. Because this spirit will want you to live in fear and not address things that need to be addressed. But I'm telling you, the devil ain't going to make me back up. He ain't going to make me back up. I'm going to push in a little harder. Because you, you got to know, and that, that's the thing. When the enemy can convince us that we are not who God has anointed us to be, then he can start stealing our identity. But I prophesy over people in this room that have been sold a bill of goods to make you think you're less than what God has called you to be. God says you are the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath, and you are not a second-rate citizen in the kingdom of God, that the anointing that was on Jesus is the same anointing that's on you, and that anointing can destroy yokes and remove burdens. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, no one looking around for the next couple of moments. But if you're in this place and you say, Pastor, I'm not in relationship with Jesus. I need God's forgiveness and his grace. I want God 
to save me today. I want to leave knowing that I'm saved and I'm right with God. If that is you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, Pastor, that's me. I need to be saved. Thanks for this hand. God bless you. Anyone else? Thank you for this hand. God bless you. Anyone else? You say, that's me, Pastor. I need to be saved. I need his grace. I need his forgiveness. I want us to pray together. Two hands at least have gone up. And if you're online, another one over here. God bless you. Awesome. Awesome. Those that are watching online, you can be a part of this as well. But everybody lift your voice with me and say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. So I ask you, Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give them a big God bless you. So good, so good. I want the um, prayer team and staff to come. We're going to do one more song, and we're going to open up the altar for prayer if you need it. Listen, if you made that decision to follow Christ, there is a connect card in the seat back in front of you. If you would take a moment to let us know who you are, that you made a decision to follow Jesus, we have a table in the back left of the room, my left, your right. And if you could just fill that out, drop it off before you leave, we can help you take your next step. And we also want to put a brand new Bible in your hand before you leave. Um, We believe that we need to come alongside people and help them in their journey of faith. This altar is open. We're going to sing. We're going to worship. If you need prayer for anything at all, including hints of this spirit, operate. You say, well, I'm not coming up there. They're going to think I'm Absalom. No, Absalom's too prideful. Absalom's going to keep saying leadership's wrong, this is wrong, that's wrong. Listen, if you can humble yourself and come for prayer, you're not allowing that spirit to operate in your life. And so before we sing and before we pray for people, give Jesus the highest praise. Come on, you have all day. Come on, give him a praise today. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like to support this ministry financially, you can go to BethesdaChurch.tv give. We'll catch you on the next episode. Have a great day.